Hello, welcome to Shoot First, Talk Later, the photo shoot podcast with me, Robert Gershenson. My guest this week is Jordan Curtis Hughes. He is a London-based photographer and he's, he shoots for the NME. And the people that he's shot is like a who's who of music. So he's done Everything Everything, Kasabian, Catfish on the Bottle Men, Arctic Monkeys, Bring Me the Horizon, and The Mighty Taylor Swift. If you want to see the photos I just shot of Jordan, head to www.sftl.photos. It's a plural, there's an S at the end. We've done the shooting, now let's do the talking. Hello, Jordan. Hello, mate. You all right? Yeah, very well, thank you. I'm all good. <laughs> I think I want to be introduced as the mighty Jordan Hughes. The mighty Jordan Hughes. In the future, yeah. Um, so how does, how does someone go from living up in Birmingham and then coming to London and, and being you know, a big shooter for the NME? Um, I think as a general rule, and I'm not speaking for everybody, but as a general rule for anybody that isn't from London, um, the way you want to, if you want to make something of yourself, you move to London first and then kind of ask questions later. Um, so yeah, that was kind of just the first thing in my mind, really get down to London and then, uh, and go from there, kind of start nagging people to shoot things, and uh, yeah, just knew I needed to be here. So, did you when when did you actually sort of first pick up a camera? Was this this in when you hit London or, or no, back up in Birmingham? No, it, it, it's funny because I'm only 22, so a lot of people are like, "Oh, God, you're so young!" Like it's happened all so quickly for you. And but I picked up my camera when I was 13, and I had my first photo pass at I think 14. So for for a gig. For a show for for a band called Newfound Glory, like a pop punk band from America, who I liked a lot at the time, and um, yeah, so I've been, I've been shooting for what um, eight years. So it, you know, it doesn't feel that quick or or sudden, really. So yeah, I've been shooting for a long time. And who were you shooting for up in Birmingham? Uh, I wasn't really. There, there was a guy called Steve Gerrard, um, not the footballer, uh, but yeah, Steve Gerrard, who owned a thing called Brum Live, which was like um, an online-only magazine kind of thing where they just review live music. Uh, I'm eternally grateful for the opportunities that you know. I think I shot quite a few like big bands via that kind of medium, and uh, it was a good way to cut my teeth because I wasn't getting paid for it. Kind of doing um, just for the you know. Uh, just for the love get, of it. Yeah, and just trying to get the experience. But that's that's kind of the way it is in the creative industries. You've, you've, you've kind of got to work for free. And when people say you've got to work for free, the connotation is that you're being taken advantage of. Mm. But quite often it's the other way around. You're, mm. you're kind of using certain mm. magazines or websites or mm-hmm. not individuals, but you're kind of using that as an experience to kind of do mm-hmm. exactly what you want. Yeah, it, it annoys me. With, with with people who have been in the industry for a long time who seem to forget where they've come from and they, you know they'll look at these kids in the in the photo pit you know who are like 16 years old and they've got like a little crap camera and and they're like oh oh you know I bet he's working for free you know I bet he's w- working for a rubbish website and I just think oh man like like I've done that before it's mm-hmm. just you know you you can't walk in and be like getting paid straight away you need to you know you need to build up a portfolio and and like yeah like it'd be nice not to work for free initially but it's just kind of the it's just kind of what you have to do it's just one of those things so yeah i wish people would stop complaining (laughs) was that up back up in birmingham was that a a mixture of 
Was that was that mainly just live stuff, or were you doing portrait sessions as well? Yeah, other than about two years ago, about ninety percent of my work was live music, and then kind of like you know, like fly on the wall documentary stuff. Um, yeah, and it, it was only when I kind of sat down and had a conversation with the editor, at, um, not the editor, the picture editor at the NME, when I was like, you know, I want to shoot more portraits. And they, I see a girl called Zoe Capstick, who's not at the NME anymore, but she. Um, yeah, she was she was very helpful. You know, kind of um, you know gave me loads of little things what we used to call radar shoots. So it was with like new bands, um, who we we were pushing and um, someone on their radar. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And uh, yeah, just giving me the opportunity to start shooting. So you've been with the enemy for how long? Uh, I I I signed my contract at seventeen. Mm. Um, what are you Beethoven? Yeah, <laughs> signed so my contract at seventeen, and then um, I shot my first job. Uh, when I was 19. So I think they, they got me in early almost. I was going to say, why was there like a at least an 18 month? I, I guess because uh, I, I, I was still living in Birmingham when, when I signed the contract. And I guess they had kind of big shooters yeah. um, in the Midlands and, and more north who they had trust in. Um, and it, yeah, it was only when I moved to London, really. And I and I started to kind of start taking it a bit quite seriously. And what does the, what does the contract actually stipulate? Well, I'm sure you saw it, but the the new Time Inc. contract that went around a few years ago was quite um, bad. You talk about the, like, like zero hour contract, that kind of thing. No, 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 no. no? Not, it's a, it's a freelance contract. It's yeah. not like a zero hour thing. But it's like you know, uh, I I didn't sign it, but that you know, it takes all of your photo rights and kind of oh, sure you okay. can't use them and all that kind of stuff. But um, so you don't own the rights to your images that you do for Enemy. Yeah, a bit, that, that, that's kind of an industry standard with with publications. When you, if I shoot a feature for the enemy, I can't then go sell that them photos to someone else. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Okay, I, I get that they want to cover their ass. Um, yeah. I just for, when I've done stuff for magazines, I remember one magazine um, sent me sent me something similar to that, and and I kind of had a chat to him said, "You don't need." you don't need my copyright. Mm. So either you take that out or the shoot really isn't just going to happen. Mm. Um, and I guess I was kind of pushing it because it was like a day before mm. the shoot that they sent the uh, the contract over. And the, the, nice of them to do it, but they took out that stipulation. Yeah. And I still own the images. I'm, yeah, very, yeah. I'm a big stickler for the fact that I'm shooting it. They're my images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some other magazines, it just doesn't even come up. Mm. It, bizarre that the enemy would be quite protective over those images yeah i mean they, they they run quite a big archive you know since the 50s and yeah. they own a lot and they, i i don't know I'm, I'm second guessing here but i guess that's how they make a lot of income through like you know those selling them on elsewhere yeah from the photos of bowie from the 70s and you know all that kind of stuff so it's um it's just one of them things like you know q enemy they're all owned by like massive media like mm-hmm corporations that are based in america so it's never it's never the magazines that are kind of pushing these things it's just these guys in suits who are like oh you know how can we save 300 quid a week do you know what i mean they yeah. go oh you know what we can do so yeah i don't know i don't really blame the publication what was it when you were 13 that made you pick up a camera for the first time <clears throat> uh, my, my cousin was in a band uh, and I was learning drums at the time, but I couldn't play them very well. And I didn't, I didn't have a, I, I, 
I wasn't that bothered about being good at them either. I was just kind of like, yeah, it was fun, you know, it was, it was cool. But I wasn't like, so I just bought a camera. Uh, I think my mom lent me uh, like a hundred quid for my birthday, and yeah. uh, I went and got a, a Nikon D forty with a Jessup's own flash, uh, with a um, like a kit lens, and just blacked it, man. Like kind of just uh, yeah, shot shot my cousin's band a couple of times live, and mm-hmm. then. Um, yeah, then with like MySpace message bands and being like MySpace, oh, bloody hell, that was yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and uh, just my <laughs> and, and, and only shoot bands that I liked though. You know, like even if I was going to the show anywhere, I'd just be like, oh. So yeah, it was cool. It, so you would get press bit, or you would just push your way to the front. Yeah, yeah, you no, know, get yeah, get press pass and stuff. I, I've I've rarely done that kind of um, just trying to put your camera and hope for the best. Yeah, so I've, I mean, I've tried to always do it. The, the legit way i did so. that i did it once that at a um but it wasn't like a a proper gig venue it was a pub off warren street that mm. um a band i was into were just doing like a a little comeback gig because they were literally coming back from america right and um, they've been touring with kiss and i just rocked up with my camera and said do you mind me taking a few They're like yeah, yeah yeah do it do it yeah we really want you to do it um and now I, I'm glad I did because then I had a set of images to show the manager and now I actually do work with them. Mm. So, it, it, you know, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. you've got to have, you've got to, in a weird way, you've got to show people what you can do before you actually do it. Yeah, of course, man. It's, um, that, that, that's how I work with all the puns that I work with now. I work with Catfish on the Bottom and then Ishikari quite regularly. And I met them both through Enemy Features actually when the Enemy were doing something on them. And then, uh, yeah, I just kind of made a conscious effort to kind of show them what we'd got and then uh, yeah kind of went from there really but it's, it's funny that I say that I didn't ever push the front because I did it the other night <laughs> without a press pass and, and I literally mean uh, last Friday and who now, was that? now Thursday for Skepta he was playing at, um, he was playing at a club called Visions that I go to quite a lot regularly anyway it's um, it's kind of like a little underground um dive club almost which kind of it just plays hip-hop and grime and, and yeah and then anyway skeptical was playing uh, uh shooting his new music video so i s- didn't sneak in there on my camera i was quite you know i was like my camera's in my bag and i'm like yeah cool so i just pushed my eyes to the front and hung onto the barrier for dear life and uh, <laughs> got some shots and they're in the enemy tomorrow actually they're, oh that's yeah, quite so, yeah. so you sold them to the enemy yeah yeah well, that's pretty cool yeah um so when you're when you're kind of psyching yourself up to be in the press pit, mm-hmm. do you have like a process that you kind of go through? Um, not really. Uh, you know what? I've done it so much that I kind of just zone out. I don't. I don't listen to any music. I don't. Yeah, you know, I, I know some people that have like in ear monitors and they'll listen to music that's not the music that they're shooting, oh. which I think is really odd. No, I've I'm never you. heard that. Either. Really? No. I mean, I just have my I have my earplugs in, so I can yeah. kind of hear what's going on. Yeah. Um, honest answer is no. I kind of just turn up and go from there. I mean, I don't. I try not to talk to people initially, unless I know them. You know, and I, I, I don't like doing like the intro thing in the pit. You know, being like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Like, I haven't met you before. I'd rather do it after we've shot. Do you know what I mean? But if I know them anyway, it's just you know, the. The kind of the the regulars that I see around, it's more of just like a like a little nod. Yeah, you're yeah, right, yeah, you're yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I don't really know their names, and because yeah. you know most. Of, I mean, most of them shoot for agencies, so as soon as they're out the pit, 
they grab their bag and they're on their laptops yeah. uploading them and sending it off to Getty yeah. or Alamy or wherever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the interesting thing about those guys is they're only interested in the most famous person from the band, yeah. which kind of frees up other spaces in the pit yeah. for me to go around getting pictures because I want to get pictures of everyone. Mm. I'm not really just interested in getting a picture of... Um, I don't know, like just Tony Hadley yeah, yeah. or just the Kent brothers. Mm. I need the other guys in Spandau Ballet as well, mm-hmm. just for my own personal yeah, portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I tend to do is I tend to watch YouTube. Thank God for YouTube and, and the invention of the smartphone and sort of fan-filmed footage because I tend to watch a couple of clips from the same mm-hmm. tour mm-hmm. so I know what the set looks like yeah, yeah, and yeah. I know where people are going to be stood on the stage. Yeah, I... Um... I've actually give that advice to, to people in the past about the YouTube clip thing because I remember I, I did it once when I was um it was about six years ago shooting Tiny Temper yeah on his arena tour and um in the first song he kind of like pops out in the middle of the stage and he had like a parachute on and it was you know mental and there was like fireworks and stuff and um and I knew exactly where to stand because I watched it and I got this great shot. Of, of all these fireworks and stuff and um yeah that's a very good preparation actually i uh yeah i should have said that i haven't you know what i haven't done it in a while because i i haven't done the the three song no flash thing regularly for a long time mm-hmm. now and that was kind of like my bread and butter for a while but i haven't haven't done that for a while whereas it obviously one when you tour with bands you know this you see it over and over again yeah, you know exactly what's going to happen <laughs> it's very rare i mean and shikari are uh, an exception because their their set doesn't change every night but their live show changes every night it you know what the, the things that they do or what the that, lights or what they do is that what they do yeah you know they're completely spontaneous yeah yeah i mean like rao lead singer will like either like go in the crowd or he'll like climb a lighting rig or he'll like be on the bar and then like I'll be shooting that and I'll turn around like and then like Chris the bassist will be like on the barrier and then like and then like um, Rory the guitarist will be like in the middle of the crowd and there's like a circle pit and it's um, so and he changes every night and it's great so yeah have you sustained any injuries by going in those pits uh no no I have uh no not not even camera injuries i did the only time i ever broke a camera on stage was i tripped over a lighting rig and I, <laughs> I, my 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 camera took the full full force of the fall that's like um that's like don mccullen um you know the war photographer yeah obviously he'd been in like 120 countries by the time he finished at sunday times and the only injury that he really sustained was wasn't from a bullet his camera took the bullet mm. um but another instance he um he just fell through the roof of this hut and was oh, out of action for like six months yeah isn't that ridiculous yeah yeah i know um, i remember back when i saw alice cooper this is before i was actually a photographer um motorhead were opening yeah. and i got myself like the best spot in in wembley arena which is like in the middle of the um kind of halfway in the middle of the stage but 10 rows back and Motorhead came up and I thought, well, I'm not moving. I'll, <laughs> I'll just I'll just endure them. What are they going to do? Like 25 minutes? A mosh pit literally opened up in front of me, like as if the floor, sure. like a sinkhole. Sure. And people just, it was it was overly violent. But, but I was just like, I'm not fucking moving. Yeah. I'm just going to endure <laughs> this. And it went on for an hour. Wow. Fucking 
hour, hour support slot. An hour. It was Motorhead, isn't it? Uh-huh. So Joan Jett did half an hour before. They did an hour. Uh-huh. And all the way through, I'm just thinking, just play the fucking song. Play the fucking song. Play the one, any, play the one, only the one that people know. So they did that and then they fucked off. Um, for portrait sessions, how much input do you have? Do they come to do? Do bands come to you and say, "This is what we want to do. Can you help us achieve it?" Or do they say, "You know, what do you want to do? Help, help us, help us achieve something." But it, it's got to come from you. I think with more established bands, they tend to know what they want to look like, so they'll kind of have like a very, you know, set idea in their head what they want their photos to look like, where they want them shot, how they want them edited, um, which kind of makes your life very easy to be honest with you because you you just turn up and light it right you know that's kind of what yeah. you do um with, with with smaller bands or kind of bands that are first starting out they kind of um i guess i expect a, a bit of creative input really and uh, they, you know as do the bigger bands as well but it's kind of a, bit, a little bit less so because there's, there's a lot more kind of influence from label and management and all that kind of stuff with filling them with ideas and, and all that whereas you know when when a band's first starting out it's you know four people in a room all going right how do we want to look like and uh, yeah um, do you find that input from the suits management mm. PR red label bosses or um, someone who just happens to be on set that day do you find that difficult to deal with and do you often look around over your shoulder and go who the fuck are these uh, people and why are they on set uh, no I I'd like to think I don't know if it's me being naive but I'd like to think that if anybody's on my shoot that they're there for a reason and a lot of the time they are you know whatever that kind of looks like so I'd never I'd never question someone's presence on my shoot I don't think I um I'd hate to kind of be a I don't know it just you sound like a bit of an arsehole I think if you if you were like <laughs> what are you doing on my set? Do you know what I mean? Unless I was, uh, you know, Mario Testino, uh, I don't think I could be in a position to kind of question someone from, you know, uh, Universal Universal Records uh, as to why they're there. But, you know, um, I, I, I've i never had a problem. I, they've only helped in the past, to yeah. be honest with you. Um, it's daunting. Uh, you know, I think that one of the largest crews ever on a shoot has been about 16 kind of standing like I'm shooting tethered into a Mac and they're all literally watching the photos as they and I can't see them because I'm shooting and uh, yeah I mean it's daunting but it's you know, it's just one of the well it, it's horrible because you know we might make great images you know I've looked through your your website you've got good stuff on there mm. But it's not like you click once and boom, an image mm. comes out of the camera ready for your website. Yeah. It's almost like you're workshopping an image. Yeah. You take like 10 images for every one. So it's really scary to think that people on the other side of the room can see the shit that yeah, comes yeah, out yeah, before yeah. the good. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I constantly have to be like, um, these are raw images. Yeah. You know, they will look completely different. Well, not, not completely different, but they were the colorings and, you know, and the shadows and whatever will look different once they're kind of put through um, post-processing. Uh, yeah, because cause I'd hate people to kind of see a photo and be like, wow, okay, I look really bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it'd only take a couple of minutes to kind of get rid of some eye bags. And then well, the, the, what annoys me is when when you do show people like an image on the back of your camera and 
the only thing they can say is I look shit. Mm. But then you kind of have to think that's just their insecurity. They're not mm. concentrating on the fact that it's an image. They're concentrating on the fact that it's a photo of them. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible when that happens. Um, so growing up, who were your kind of visual influences? Um, I think, I think the first photographer that I ever looked was Martin Parr. As uh, obviously, obviously nothing to do with music at all. Um, it's just kind of. I was always interested in, uh, you know, British culture and stuff like that. And my, my family, mum and my uncles kind of grew up as teens in the 60s and stuff like that. The 60s and 70s, so I kind of grew up with, um, you know, the minor strikes and, the, you know, bands like the Specials and the Jam and, and all that kind of stuff. So British culture has always been very ingrained in my head. Um, so I guess Martin Parr kind of um, put that, into like visual light for me almost and 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 made me laugh while whilst doing it as well you know all those um shots from at know, the seaside all the seaside stuff yeah. obviously um they, they were the first ones that kind of made me think oh, you know that's pretty cool man like it's pretty you know those kind of things can kind of stick and for me and i guess a lot of photographers now when you think of documentary like comedy documentary photography i would always go back to them for reference you know those kind of, they're, they're dead normal shots they are just normal people on holiday eating an ice cream but it's that kind of beauty in the in the normal which i quite enjoyed and then um and then and the music photographers uh i i always find it funny saying his name because i know him well now but um dean chalkley growing up was always quite a big one he was um and he's a big enemy photographer. So kind of growing up, I saw a lot of his images. And I'm sure you know the White Stripes photo um, with like the elephant head with a red wall. And yeah. they're in like um, white and black um, outfits. Yeah, and, and he was always kind of a reference to be like, wow, like that's really cool. Like, you you know, you can make, you can still make like iconic photos as, as um there's like a newish photographer. He, he's, you know, he's not a young photographer anymore, but he's, um, you know, still shooting in a new way, if you like. And uh, yeah, so so Dean Chalkley and Martin Parr, I guess, were my kind of initial influences. It's interesting you say that he's he's shooting still and, and creating great images mm. way into his career. Um, on one of the other podcasts that we did in this series, um a guy called David Morgan, he's a comedian, and we were chatting about the idea that do comedians have a shelf life? Mm -hmm. um, do they just get to the point where they plateau out? Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's the case with with most photographers and only a few kind of make it through the other side of the fence? Um, yeah, essentially. I'm not going to name any names, obviously, yeah. but I I personally, from from, from what I've seen... The, the change from film to digital when it happened was kind of like the cut-off point for some people because I there's a lot of photographers from back in the day who I look at and their, their film photos are great. And then I look at their new work that's shot on digital and it's, um, yeah, it's not half as good. And I don't know what it is. It, I don't know what's lost there. I don't know... I don't know if it's just because they get older and they get bored of it, or I don't know if it's like the actual process of taking a photograph. The with physical a process. Yeah, yeah, of a film and a digital camera. But I, 
I'd say about 60% of the photographers that I've looked at who were initially shot film and shoot digital get worse. Um, but then but then the people that do come out on the other side are, you know, fucking great. You know, there's a lot of photographers that have long... You just, especially with nowadays, you just have to kind of move with the times a little bit. And we're... My generation, 20-odd-year-olds, are in a very strange position where being a good photographer isn't it anymore. You know, you look at people like Adam Amakaius, who's a music photographer, but he's like, he's like branded himself as like a music photographer and a blogger. So he's like social reach is ridiculous, man. He's yeah. got like 120,000 followers on Twitter and 400,000 on Instagram. Don't quote the numbers on that, but it, you know, around that, there's a lot of people that follow him basically. He's got a commodity behind him. And yeah. The, the commodity is the reach he has. Yeah. And he sells like shitload of merch and he's got like his face on t-shirts and you know he's got like his cat on t-shirts and um <laughs> you know it's um his cat. yeah and you know what like cat. like he's like a really cool dude like i think that's wicked like you know fair play to him but it's a very interesting kind of dynamic now where as a photographer you you, you have to look at him and be like right if brands want to be involved with me, I probably have to have certain social reach and stuff like that. Um, it's not so much for the older guys because I know, you know, it, does Annie Libovitz have a Twitter? I mean, probably not. I imagine her people, her people have a probably, Twitter for her. Yeah, like, but she doesn't. She doesn't need it. She's just shot the Queen. Yeah, well, this this is exactly what I mean though. But like, if she's back, Annie Libovitz, exactly, exactly. But she she's had a chance to build her name as a photographer yeah. solely through shooting photographs, mm. whereas. Whereas now um, it feels like you kind of have to go above and beyond, which which is fine. Uh, but you, to go back to the original point, you kind of just have to move with the time, and um, and never moan, never be like, oh, it wasn't back like this back in my day, and then <laughs> never do anything about it, and kind of just fall down by the wayside and become irrelevant. And uh... do you think part of that is having to accept that smartphones exist? Uh, what in terms of just like quick photography in, in the fact that you know we spend thousands on our gear mm. and yet someone can use their smartphone and call themselves a photographer yeah does it does it kind of cheapen the medium no i don't think so i i've gone away on holiday before and looked at my cameras and just took my phone it's a great it's a great camera you know like <laughs> My iPhone is is better than a lot of the digital cameras that I had before I bought an SLR. So I don't... Again, it's that whole, like, you can't attack technology. You have to roll with it. You know, you can't be like... I, 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 I don't know. There's like old school photographers really frustrate me. Um, so no, I, I don't think it cheapens it at all because um, th there will always be a need for the professional side of anything. You know, um anybody can swim <laughs> anybody can run yeah but not everyone's phelps or you know do you know what i mean like it's that it's that thinking it's that like yes a lot of people do it but you just have to be better <laughs> it, it kind of forces you to be better of course it does yeah and and it i i make a conscious effort if i kind of shoot things is to get my stuff out quick you know, if it, it not editorial or anything, because obviously that kind of has to go through processes and stuff. But if I like, I'm shooting a crime project at the moment. So if I go down to crime, 
Grime. Grime. <laughs> Not a crime. Sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm a right granddad. <laughs> no, no, a, a grime project at the moment. So if I go down to a show, I'll try and get a photo out straight away. Yeah. Before anybody else does. And that, that photo, t- tons of people will put up loads of photos on their Instagram from their phones and stuff from the show. But that photo always does the rounds if it gets out first. first yeah. And it's good enough, obviously. So, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think it cheapens it. I think it kind of um, makes people, should make people better photographers. So the enemy went free. Yeah. Um, do you think that's the, the kind of future for, for print magazines, for print medium? Uh, yeah. I guess I, I, nothing's physical anymore, uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, kind of CDs aren't really a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, vinyl seen an upsurgence, but it's nothing on streaming. You know, when you yeah. look at percentages, it's everyone's like, oh, vinyl's great, you know. And then you know, when you compare it to the amount of people that have signed up to Apple Music, which is like 13 million people, you know, it's not a lot. Um yeah, I, I I do I do kind of think that's the way things will go. Um, but I, again, I I kind of hope that it will that that brands will kind of hold on to their print for heritage reasons, i.e. the enemy, hold on to it, so that they can still do great covers and great content and stuff. Um, but then but then there's an opportunity to have you know really good great online content and. And those fees should reflect that. So if you if you shoot a cover for X amount, you know if you if you're going to shoot a leading feature on a website that gets the same amount of hits as the magazine does, then that should reflect that. So I think it can it can only be a positive thing if it's done right. Yeah. If kind of if things go free, but then the thing that overtakes it, they the the digital version of it is kind of um, you know subsidized, I guess. The um. In terms of the reach that Enemy now gets, yeah. I think when they were when they were on sale, uh-huh. they were getting like fifteen thousand yeah. a month. Now they get sorry a week. Now they get three hundred thousand. Yeah. So there's there's a positive there. Yeah. There's a positive that your work is going to be seen by a lot more people. Yeah. For, from a selfish point of view, when I shot the Slaves cover, which was my first cover, I think yeah, like you said, like fifteen thousand people. Whereas I shot the Taylor cover. You know, and then, you know, it's like 300k, you know, <laughs> from a selfish point of view, great. Yeah. Great. You know, like tons more people. I had people walking through like Birmingham train stations being like, oh, I just saw your photo on the cover of the enemy, whereas that never happened before, you know. Um, Tell me about that. Tell me about shooting Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah, she was, um, she's great. It, 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 it's a funny one, really. It, it's the first question anybody... I'm glad it wasn't the first question you asked, actually, because it's the first thing that anybody asks anymore mm. uh, to me. They're kind of, uh, hi, nice to meet you, I'm Jordan. Uh, and they go, yeah, Sandra, I just shot Taylor. And you go, oh, yeah. Well, the, uh, the, reason, the kind of reason I ask kind of ties back into the, the question, the, the, the comment before about having kind of involvement by people who might necessarily not actually need to give their involvement were you were you given kind of free reign to to how to shoot her or was it was that another case of this Uh, is how we want it done like i said like with with bands or or solo artists whatever 
when they've been in the game that long, they know exactly what they want and exactly what they don't want. Yeah. So we, my hands were tied. To be honest with you, I didn't really have any creative direction at all <laughs> um, on that shoot. It was kind of, uh, it was kind of just turn up and do the shoot. Turn up and shoot. Turn up, shoot, go home. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah. Taylor was great. You know, um, very lovely. Uh, Is she quite down to earth? Yeah. Yeah. She turned up uh, early. Wow, that's uh, unusual for the music she, industry. I know exactly. Yeah, she <laughs> she turned up early. Um, I I was really ill because we we flew out to LA. On I can't I can't remember the days, but let, we flew out on the on the evening, and we basically got there on American night. I slept, shot the next day, and then slept and then went home. So like I was so ill from like jet lag just jet lag and just because like LA shattered exactly like I think LA is 13 hours Jesus I think is that right uh, no 8 oh I don't know it's really bad anyway it's like a working day yeah yeah it's like it completely <laughs> throws your day anyway Um, so I was really like ill but as, as soon as she walked in my adrenaline just kind of kicked in and it yeah. was um, yeah it was great it kind of just sort of went by very quickly to be honest with you um the team were great that was with her obviously all kind of top of their game hair and makeup and stylists and whatever you like really and um yeah really enjoyed it it was good she was um she kind of <laughs> she kind of just danced really and i kind of just photographed it because I, I always have music on quite loud yeah when i shoot um what did you have on that day she brought her own playlist ah. I, I did have my own on but her manager did ask if I would mind if she put her own on which obviously I said I didn't mind well, that's, that's, if it gets her going then it's uh, great yeah yeah exactly what, what did you have on that was switched off uh, a, lot, a guy called Stormzy um, and a lot of grime music I had on uh, like Deedle and and Skepta and Jamie and, uh, and P Money and stuff and I don't think they quite appreciated the the London <laughs> London rap scene as much as I'd hoped so um, she kind of put on uh like Rihanna and 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 Big Sean and and kind of the bigger American rappers and yeah. stuff and it was good man uh, yeah very surreal experience very cool um, yeah had a photo with her at the end which I don't usually do yeah I never have a photo with anyone yeah, yeah. I do, I just thought it was, it was one of those things isn't it you know just because I hate being photographed really yeah yeah I don't know I'm definitely better behind the camera I've done I've done enough now being photographed. Where I, I'm starting to not mind, <laughs> starting to not care. Because you can, get, I guess you can, you can position yourself in a way that you know looks good on camera. Yeah, and you know what? It helps me with photographing bands because I know now. I don't. I wouldn't know what to say if you asked me now off the top of my head. But like, I wouldn't. I know how awkward it is sometimes. Yeah. You know when when photographers are like, oh, can you can you do this? And in your mind, you're like. <laughs> no like absolutely not so like i know i kind of know what you know, yeah the psych of it now i guess what is it about music that a connects to you but also just generally music really seems to it, it kind of connects to people a lot more and a lot more uh, emotionally than any other medium film literature mm-hmm. uh, anything what is it about music um as a whole i guess i guess it's just people kind of talking about what you're going through a lot of the time i guess uh 
kind of makes you makes you feel like you're not the only person that's going through a certain certain thing or you know it doesn't matter how big or small that is you know wherever it, it's uh a song about food uh <laughs> it, it, come, it comes to mind a, a song by jamie called food uh very good um yeah i, I don't know I, I guess it kind of just gets you uh gets you apart your seat um and kind of puts your your thoughts into a uh, uh i'm waffling on a bit but yeah it kind of puts it in quite a nice perspective i guess do you think do you think it's I mean, my only opinion in it is that it's it's kind of a group and shared experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a, with with film, you kind of you sat in the dark, sure. and you you're next to people, but really, really you're just experiencing it as an individual. Yeah. With with music in a club or or a gig venue or a festival, yeah. it's kind of bringing people together and people who you don't even know strangers you can have a connection with them uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah yeah I, I i like that aspect a lot you know especially at um catfish and a bottle men gigs and you kind of uh you look across the crowd and there's there's like loads of lads and loads of girls with like their arms around each other and they've got their arms in the air singing their lyrics and stuff and but you know lyrics that van's written about very you know personal things you know uh they're written in a way that they're quite broad. Yeah. You know, you can, anybody can relate to them, but you know, they're quite personal lyrics, and it's great. It's really cool. I think it, I think it's really cool. But then, obviously, on the other other side of it, you m- music becomes very um, uh, it, it kind of loses its romance a little bit when you're kind of involved in it for a long time. Okay. Um, when it, you, when it, you, in what respect? Just when, just the, when you see the workings of it, really, it's not, it's not very often, and I, I wouldn't ever name names again, but it's not, it's not very often that you'd meet a band and be like, oh God, they're, they're literally only here to kind of take the ticket sales and go home. Do you know what I mean? Um, which is great because you rarely see that. But I've seen what, where the band time. just gets to the point where it's, it's a job, it's not a passion anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's a shame that that happens, but it happens to everybody. And it doesn't matter what, if you're in an office job, if you're if you're a musician, if you're a filmmaker. You know, you, you can see you can see it with directors when they don't want to do it anymore, and they're just doing it for paychecks. So the films get worse. <laughs> it kind of goes back to the the, the comment before about uh, photographers having a shelf life. Yeah. Do you think that all bands at one point just get to the the point where, like Motley Crue recently, mm. Nikki Six said we weren't being creative as a unit anymore, so it was time to bring the curtain down. Yeah, and I think it's important that bands do kind of admit that a lot of the time. And I kind of, I rate it when bands quit at the top. You know, bands like The Jam kind of, you know, quit in their, in their heyday. And, everyone, and they've never, never had, they've never reformed, no, okay. Never reformed. And, and Paul Weller's always said, that, you know, they, they would never, ever reform. And I, I quite like that because you, you you don't lose the romance. And it's it sounds quite bad, but it's like when people die young, your your view of that person is forever twenty seven. Is is that yeah. is that twenty seven year old? Um, Jim Morrison will always be that tall guy with the, the beautiful dark yeah, hair. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas you know, if you kind of live long enough to see yourself become the enemy, you know, do you know what I mean? You know, it's uh, it's a shame, really. Um, but yeah, my chemical romance is another one that called it a day. Yeah. And Gerard Way says we're never. Yeah. never get back together has there been a time when you thought 
when when the band has got back together, you thought, ah, uh, they somehow magically pulled it off. Um, I mean the specials. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you know the specials at all. Only that Ghost Town song. Sure. Um, the specials are, are really good, like really good live. What, what was the gap between breaking up and getting back together? Quite a few years, I think. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd have to research it. Yeah. But um, it was quite a yeah. It was a it was a couple of decades, I think. Um, but yeah, I I saw them. Obviously, I didn't see them in their in their heyday, but they started in 77 yeah um I'm is that off the top of your head or a uh, google <laughs> i've definitely just googled that thing here okay so they they were they formed in 77 broke up in 84 got back together for five years from 96 2001 and then got back together in 2008 and they're still going okay so so they've kind of been regular on and off yeah yeah but things like um like when zeppelin yeah led zeppelin got back together yeah obviously without without bonham that that was deemed as like a a, a wonderful wonderful success Uh when bands do that Mm. does it matter who's in the band anymore does it become a brand Um, i don't know to be honest with you i think i think it matters with band members because otherwise you're you're kind of watching the lead singer and the fill-ins. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like that's quite a good band name actually. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, a um, yeah, like, like I I photographed the David Gilmore the other night of Pink Floyd. Is he out on his own now? Yeah, as as a, as a solo artist. And I think if he come out and called himself Pink Floyd. Do you know what I mean? It'd be a bit like, oh, it's not really Pink Floyd, is it? But they, they I mean, they, they kind of reformed around Live Aid, didn't they? I and have was just, no There was idea. just three of them. I have no idea. Because there's only there's only three of them alive still. Right. Am I right? I, I think I've got that right. And um, they kind of they kind of reformed just for Live Aid. Sure. I don't think Roger Waters uh-huh. was with them. Yeah. He's gone off to do his own thing, The Wall. Yeah, yeah, and now Gilmore's gone out. But bands like like Kiss, yeah. there's only two original members in the band. Yeah. Um, Thin Lizzy toured again, mm. but it was just um, the guitarist, yeah. and then so studio weird. musicians. Yeah. But that one's an inter- interesting one. They went back into the studio as Thin Lizzy to make a record, um, the first Thin Lizzy record in God knows how long, and there was so much backlash especially from uh, Phil Lynott's estate and his yeah. family, that they said, okay, we'll drop the Thin Lizzy uh, name and we'll call ourselves Black Star Riders. Right. So it kind of, it kind of comes in, in, in sways. I guess the guy is still tied to the brand and yeah. he's, 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 his opinion is obviously, hang on, I was part of that band, so why can't I carry on? Yeah, yeah. But it's nice that he actually recognised that actually... Yeah, yeah. You've got to respect yeah. what came in the past. Yeah, of course, because you, you just tarnish what was before you, I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of stick with that. I think, I think I'd think i say that, you know, if it wasn't, if it's not most of the original members, then I wouldn't kind of call yourself the same band. So if you want to see the photos I've shot of Jordan, head to www.sftl.photos. 
It's a plural, S at the end. Um, and we always end on a quiz. So it's all based around you. Oh, God. Are you ready? I don't know. Um, which American basketball player quit and became a baseball player? Oh, I don't. I have no idea about American sports. Not, but the base around me? Yeah. Well, it's loosely. It's okay. like loosely based around you. Because I, I, no. you're not an American baseball player. No, sure. Uh, mate, th- no idea. Michael Jordan. Re- baseball player, really? Yeah, yeah, he did it for like three years and then went back to basketball. Well, I, you know what? I nearly said Michael Jordan, but I thought that was going to be too obvious. He's the, only ba- he's the only basketball player anyone knows. Yeah. Can you name oh. another one? Apart from Michael J. Fox? LeBron. <laughs> Who? LeBron. Uh, yeah. I d- yeah, I mean, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I would have said that. God damn it. Okay. Um, which filmmaker and inventor mm. suffered from OCD and died a recluse? Howard Hughes. Yeah. Um, who released a full cover uh, of Taylor Swift's 1989? Uh, Ryan Allen. Yeah. Which, mag- uh, which magazine celebrates its 20... 20- uh, sorry, I'll start again. I'll start it so I'll finish. Which magazine celebrates its 67th birthday this year? The Enemy. Yeah. Have they got anything special planned? Not that I've heard of. Yeah. I haven't been invited yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the 70th birthday. Okay. That's going to be a big one. Sure. I don't think there are that many magazines now that could, could you know, could say they're, they've been around yeah, for 70 yeah. years. It's quite a long time, really. Yeah. There's quite a lot of bands to cover. I don't know how they do it, but yeah, fair enough. Um, LA Confidential, 8 Mile, and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle were all directed by who? Don't know. <laughs> Curtis Hansen. Curtis Hansen. I think you got one out. I one was out really, of five. I was really bad then, wasn't I? Yeah. Two. Did I get two? Two. We'll I say two just for fun. Let's say two. Two out of five. It's Wicked. Like, um, how can people find you online? Uh, Twitter and Instagram is at George Hughes Photo. And, uh, and then websites, jordancurtishughes.co.uk. Nice short, uh, nice short URL there. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's really long. I need to maybe change it up. But then... Yeah, it's my name, so maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. People can deal with it. Yeah. Um, thank you, Jordan. Thanks, man. Wicked, this is how we end it. I've been Robert Gershenson. I've been Jordan Hughes. Thanks for having us. We'll shoot you later. Yeah.